Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. Good on everybody. This is the Feed 2 Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with my extraordinary uh, partner, Brock Landis. Brock, how is the apartment life going for you? It's great, man. Listen, so I'm 20. I've never had the luxury of having a bathroom in my bedroom. So 18 years, I've always used my bathroom in the middle of the hallway. And then in dorms for the past two years, I've been sharing a bathroom. When I woke up and I did my thing in my own bathroom, in my own bedroom, it was a powerful feeling. So <laughs> I, I've been walking around a little differently as of late. Is this the apartment? Yeah, this is the apartment. Uh, okay. Very not nice. much going on. I could give you a tour eventually, but very uh, nice. From, from this perspective, it's just, just something I would do, a plain room with <laughs> LED lights. Of course. Well, we do have some things to discuss today. The Sixers, they lose on uh, Sunday to the Blazers, mm-hmm. and they lose today to the Phoenix Suns, now 3-3 three and three in the bubble. Brock, um, so it seems that we probably will not be seeing Ben Simmons the remainder of this season. Um, you know, even if he Correct. is healthy um, and he is able to play, my, my my gut is that he will be held out from playing. Um, and it looks like you know that they're they're fighting a an uphill battle to get out of the first round. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, with this injury, I do think Ben Simmons will make a full recovery and. Uh, this bubble situation is definitely a strange time for the NBA, so uh, it's it's another unfortunate thing to add to that. But nonetheless, I think Ben Simmons makes a full recovery. But uh, now the, merit- the the narratives in the media are, are going completely off the rails. Like I can't believe how many times I've gone on to social media, media whether it be watching TV or on Twitter, and I've seen people talking about trading the two, and it's like, We've progressed so far. We, we've made it so far as a community in the past year or two, kind of sweeping these rumors onto the carpet and avoiding these conversations and putting dunce caps on the people that do talk about it. But it's just a recurring thing. Austin, I don't know why people want to split these two up. I really don't. Can you clarify why so many people want that to happen? 
Well, I think it's frustration, obviously, with the uh, you know within the fan base. Um, typically, it's not going to be the people who have a, a significant following for 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 for, for you know evident reasons. Uh, but you know, as as far as it goes in like the politics of of national media and like the ESPNs of the world. It's because that stuff generates clicks. It generates reaction from the fans, whether it be the Philly fans or the you know fans of teams that would like to have those players on their team, and you know it generates conversation. It generates clicks. Those clicks turn to ad revenue, and then boom, you have profit. Um, so that's you know it, a lot of it comes off as like disingenuous, um, or even you know like. I'm going to try to like put together this theatrical performance of a fake belief that I don't actually hold, but I'm going to spew it out on TV because that's what, you know, gets people going. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the Philly fans make it pretty easy, make it pretty easy to be picked on. They, they react to everything. It's a topic that they've reacted to literally every time the conversation is had. And so, you know, they, 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 they make it, they make it easy. And, um, you know, it, I, I kind of want to put it out there and say, you know, it's, when you stop reacting to it and when you just, you know, shrug it off and look the other way because you know it's it's BS, they'll stop doing it. They'll move on to an, another duo or another, you know, star tandem because if it's not generating reaction, then why would they continue to talk about it? As long as you let it, as long as you react to it, they're going to keep going with it. It works for them, um, and it's it's smart media. It's 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 smart, mm-hmm. um, but you know it. it what, we're the ones that keep them going. The people who react, people who, you know, quote tweet it, people who do this, do that, who keep you know, tweeting about it after they say something originally about it. The more you talk about it, the more they're going to keep doing it because they know it works. So just stop talking about it and it's going to go away. And the reason that you don't hear about guys like Anthony Davis and LeBron or um, you know this guy and that guy it's because those reactions don't solicit a big response. They, they don't. Um, you know, when the te- when teams aren't playing well, it's a very, very, very easy topic to push. When 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 you have chemistry issues, when you have a team that's not playing up to up to expectations, that button of do we split these two up is a very, very easy button to push. Now the Lakers were a one seed, so obviously there's not a lot to go off of. There's no reason to think there's any kind of issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's just sort of where I stand on uh, on on the on the the whole topic. Um, let's 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 dive into what we what we what we saw this past uh, weekend. So, you know, Brett, uh, the 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 defensive uh, defensive minded head coach continues to um, you know to to do the same old thing. He lives by. The, the the shot creating guard and dies by the shot creating guard, and uh, you know he even said it after the game on, on Friday or on Sunday. It was something like, when you study the league, um, the most dangerous guys are the are the are, are, are like you know like like the, the the live dribble guards, which basically just means like the guys like Damian Lillard, like Devin Booker, like T.J. Warren, up all of a sudden, the kind of players who can create their shots off the dribble are the most dangerous in the league. The difference is that it seems to be that Brett Brown is the one who's just figuring that out. <laughs> um, um, you know, it, it, Dame did his thing on on Sunday, and I thought he would have. I thought he was going to go for like 65, 70. Like I really did believe that. Um, but 
you know, so, so I guess in that respect, they got lucky. He still dropped 50 plus. Um, and, you know, I, I think for me, the most, if, if I'm, if I'm evaluating the team and <clears throat> I'm looking at their defensive landscape, their defensive scheme, I think the thing that's so shocking to me is that when a guy has like 25, 30 first half points against you, why you don't come out with like a sense of urgency <laughs> on the first time they set a high pick and roll, like Horford and and I think Josh were on, were, you know, were, were, there was like a pick and roll play with Dame, and it was a really really high pick and roll, like obscenely high, and Horford's playing off of Dame like he's not capable of stepping into a thirty footer and hitting it, you know, four or five times in a row, and they're playing off of him, and it's like. No, no, you have to step up and take away that confidence in the look and take away his breathing space to actually get into a rhythm off the dribble to rise up and into a 35-foot shot. Um, and I, what it comes down to for me, I think, is that Brett Brown does not trust the help of Tobias Harris, the help of Matisse Thibel, the help of Shake Milton, uh, help of Alec Burks, whomever else it might be. He doesn't trust that they can step up and be there to be the tertiary defender to stop a guard attacking the rim if they get past Horford. Because Horford is not spry anymore. He's not young. His legs are old. He can't keep up with a younger guard like Damian Lillard. That's not a knock. Just, that's, just, that's just a fact. Damian Lillard's a speedster. And so why I, while I understand that you know you have to, you, they want to take away the drive, know your personnel. <laughs> Know what know the guy that you're defending, and it just always seems with this team like they neglect the fact that guys are capable of of, of pulling up from 35, 40 feet away and cranking down long range jump shots. And if you get if if you get beat off the screen and he turns on the Jets, okay, but you you have to you you can't just let them walk into these shots. You have to put some pressure on them defensively as jump shooters. And make them second guess. Make them make a play for somebody else. Make a you know make them slow down at least a little bit. But to just over and over again walk into, um, you know, just just walking into you know open three after open three. It's 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 obnoxious. It's 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 ridiculous. You have to make adjustments. And he continues to play the big way too far off of the guard. So when it comes off the screen, he's liable and encouraged to drill 35-foot shots, and it kills them every single game. They've had two 50-point games against them this year. Or no, this this bubble. They've had they've had they've had a pair of 50-pointers in the bubble. They got 35 dropped on them today by Devin Booker. It it, it never ends, and it's the way it's going to end is with Brett Brown losing his job. That's the only way it's going to end. That's tough. That was a dagger, but perfectly executed. Uh, so, Austin, there's a lot to dissect there, but to your point, these live ball guards get free. There's so much space, and the way they can get free is with high screens, and Portland is a team that utilizes that. They don't just bring their center up to the elbow or a little bit past it to set a screen. They're sending reinforcements up a little bit past or in front of half court, I should say, so their guards have plenty of room to operate. With a team like Philadelphia where guards go over the screen and there's so much cushion coverage, when you're behind a player and they can lock you behind you or on the hip of, 
They do have the option of penetrating, but these live ball guards can shoot the hell out of the ball now. So Dame, he's jacking it from deep. Devin Booker, he's going to pull up or come around a screen, stop on a dime, and hit that three. And that's why Matisse Thibel or Ben Simmons sometimes get into foul trouble when they fight around these screens, get locked behind players. It's almost impossible not to foul them. So that's the first point. The second point, you said Damian Lillard, you thought he was going to score 65, and that was pretty much the opinion of anybody that knew basketball heading into this game. Portland is a team that likes to utilize the screens, and CJ and Dame, they're hoopers. So what happens to Philadelphia? They're going to get torched. And what happened? Dame rolled out of bed and walked into the easiest 50-piece I think I've ever seen in my life. It was one of the quietest 50 pieces I've ever seen. But that's like, do you knock him for that? No, you obviously can't. But he walked into the 50 piece. The Sixers gave it to him on a silver platter. And Dame ate it up. And credit where credit's due, I think Damian Lillard is the most dangerous point guard in basketball. Tonight, 60-plus, secured the game for Portland. And within two minutes, he's, he's a killer. Dame is ice cold. So credit where credit's due. Portland really figured it out, and they're killing it in the bubble, to say the least. Now, to your final point, the dagger in Brett Brown's tenure here. Come on, Austin. I've been speechless. I've been speechless. Having to watch Brett Brown and navigate through these post-game interviews and try to understand it's been, these comments. It's been, it's been bad. The post-game interviews been have been bad. He's been putting me up to work. I can't imagine what somebody like you feels like because you're been on you're on his tail. You're on the beat right now. So you're 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 fully immersed in what's in what's going on with Brett. And I don't even think you can understand. No, and you know, he's very, very, very smart. As dumb as he might sound at times, and as like nonsensical as his quotes can sound at times, he's a very, very smart man. What he does is he imper- he purposely dilutes the answer with a bunch of like rambling so that way by the end of the quote you forget what you even asked in the first exactly one. you're and, like what? and and you're trying to get it on twitter <laughs> as fast as you can and you end up running out of characters very quickly so you end up cutting down everything that's actually of co- a, a, a value in, in the in the in the quote and you end up just like you're like we're like like what am i doing here like like, like why am i putting so much effort into a tweet into a quote He's very, very smart with what he says. He's very, very, very smart. Yeah, I mean, he's a great public speaker, but there's a difference between that and coaching one of the oddest rosters in basketball. And uh, for all of the defensive woes, for whatever reason, Philadelphia's defense has been so hard in this bubble. Take a look at their offense, and the injuries only make it worse. But in the bubble, they've drove to the basket the second fewest times in the NBA – And consequently, they've attempted the second fewest free throws in the entire NBA. So you're not generating points at the line outside of Joel Embiid, and you're not attacking. You're not getting into the hearts of defenses. They have the fewest catch-and-shoot points, field goals attempted, and field goals made in the NBA in the bubble, and also the fewest assists and assist points created. So offensively, there's a severe lack of production, and that's, of course, due to injury and experiments and I think once Philadelphia is finally in the playoffs they may be fully committed to Joel Embiid completely being that offense but throughout the bubble it's it's been disheartening 
And it's it's a shame to say that there's been more off-ball movement and more pick and roll and more flow of an offense in the previous two games than there was prior to that. Yeah, I I agree. And I I I would think that if the roster was better built and if you had put money towards like two or three shooters this past summer, mm-hmm. then I'd say, you know what? This team can win a first round series without Ben Simmons. They can even maybe get past a second round series without Ben Simmons. I think it's going to take a miracle for them to get out of a first round series. Like I'm talking like Embiid Embiid averages 45 and 15 every game. And they're, and they're, and they're, they're they're clawing, clawing for every victory they can get. Um, And then even if that, even that happens, then they're going to get bounced in a second round. Anyway, they'll lose in five or four or five in a second round series. And that'll be that. The, the roster construction is, you know, I think about it more and more now. The roster construction is just so, it's like laughably ridiculous. They tried to turn a veteran center and Al Horford into a stretch four. They, they did nothing to build around two of the most opposite players. The one thing that they both have in common, those two players, is that they both need shooting around them to work as individual players. That's the only common trait they, they, they possess, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, is that they need to have shooters around them to make their lives easier. And you went out and you got no shooters. So I, 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 don't, I don't have really any reason to believe in, in them in a playoff series. Now, their, their best chance is going to be number one. And they did it better today. They did it better today with with the dropping the big. I saw. I thought Mike Scott actually did a really good job with of all people of all people. Mike Scott did a really. I thought they did a nice job with Booker staying down in a stance, keeping his back up, you know, choppy feet, keeping a hand up on him, and making him sort of second guess, hesitate, you know, use different use a variety of different fakes, and just throwing him off and not making him comfortable. They did a good job with that today. I thought they actually put some ball pressure outside of the screen today. And Booker, while he had 35 points, not that that isn't as much as 53 or 51 points, or just something that has happened to them twice already in the bubble. And the Booker is certainly capable of getting a 50 piece if anytime he wants it. They actually applied some decent ball pressure to him today, and he wasn't. It was effective. Wasn't as effective as 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 Devin Booker is at his best. And they and you know in the last up until the last five minutes they stayed in the ball game and they, they had a chance you know to, to, to keep up with the Suns despite being down four of their five starters. So one is going to be how you handle the ball screens and how you defend them and actually putting trust into the tertiary help defender to step up if a guard gets around that gets a, you know beats the big you know, off the line and he turns a corner on them, trusting guys like Glenn Robinson, Alec Burks, Tobias Harris, Shake Milton, whomever, to step up and be there to confront an attacker and stunt that drive to the basket. Then you need to establish Joel Embiid on the block from the very beginning and then not just stop it, but 
continuously going back to it until the defense finds a way to counter it. But Embiid should be at the line like four or five times every every single quarter in the playoffs. He should be averaging no less than like 14 – no, like no, no less than 12 free throws per game in the playoffs. And if he is, it's not because the contact isn't there or the fouls aren't there. It's because you didn't activate him enough in a low post role and get him engaged enough. And that's on nobody but Brett Brown. As a coach, he can he can say, "Listen, shut the fuck up." What we're going to do is we're going to run the ball through Joel Embiid. <laughs> he can. <laughs> could he, you he imagine can, Brett Brown doing that to Joel Embiid and how Joel Embiid would react to that? What? That couldn't happen. What? Shut the fuck up. Yeah, Brett Brown. I don't no, think no. Brett Brown has the dog in him to say that to Joel Embiid, and yeah. I don't know if Joel Embiid's gonna gonna respect him when he's he says, "Listen." There's there's four more games and you're losing your job. I don't I don't care what you're talking about. No 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 no. I'm saying like, listen, Josh, stop what you're doing. Tobias, stop what you're doing. Everybody, stretch the floor. Get out in the perimeter. Give Joel the ball. Let Joel lead this team to to to, to a victory. And you know that's how I would do it. Now he isn't cursing at Embiid. Embiid should rise up to the challenge. Embiid should be more than happy to honor. And, and and take over. He get he you know they, they, everyone talks all this shit on Joel Embiid. He likes to step up in the guts and, and prove people wrong. This will be the time to do it without Ben Simmons. So those are the two things that I think they would need to get out of a first round series in the playoffs. It's almost a lose lose though because let's say Joel Embiid does this on his own, then every one of these knuckleheads that talk about splitting the two up just have more fuel to the fire as to why the Sixers should trade Ben Simmons. So it's essentially a lose-lose, whatever happens. But in all seriousness, I agree with the high usage in a playoff series for Joel Embiid, especially against a team like Boston or Miami if Bam Adebayo has to be a multi-positional defensive player that has to switch, which I doubt. But if if Joel Embiid can impose his will against a team that's usually smaller, he should go to the line that frequently. Uh, the problem is in telling the other four to space the floor out, they have to hit their shots. And that's been one of the reasons why, despite Joel Embiid's domination down low, they've had to fight tooth and nail for their victories. They've been catching and shooting the basketball so poorly in the bubble. Jay Rich is shooting 33% from deep on 24 attempts. That was before today's game. Tobias, he's over 36 on 19 attempts, so he's been middle of the pack. But Shake Milton, who was on fire, is also 33% on 12 attempts. And Matisse Thibel was 2 of 7 heading in today, uh, catching and shooting. So if the team can be knocking down threes, their offense is going to be moving no matter what. If it's Joel Embiid dominating in the post or it's Ben Simmons kicking it in transition. But their shooters on the floor have to be hitting shots. And that ties back to your point at the beginning of this episode, Austin. You build a roster with two players that only require shooting, and yet you went out and signed players that maybe had a history of flares of shooting, but no shooting resume to show for. And then that's what you put on the floor. And it's really a damn shame because when you when you think about Joel Embiid's comments on the podcast that he did with J.J. Redick. I haven't listened to it yet. You know, I'm going to. That, that's surprising, but, yeah, you got to listen to it. So, By the way, by the way, 
What a fucking fraud J.J. Redick is. J.J., why? Oh, what a fraud. Talk about, oh, I've been in the playoffs for 13 straight years and and, and, and all this bullshit. Please, you chase the bag. You are a bag-chasing bandit. And I don't blame you. That's certainly fine. You have a right to make as much money as you want as long as you're in the NBA. But then don't say that I'm about – I'm trying to get back to the playoffs. Just say I want to chase the bag. I don't care about winning as much. I care about making it about money. And that's fine. But don't bullshit about it. Don't, don't don't put up this act like you care so much about winning, and then you go to a team that relies on a rookie to get to the playoffs. Like, 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 like what the know. fuck is what the fuck is that about? That's bullshit. Listen, here's what I'll say: the the move to go to New Orleans was premeditated. That didn't just yeah. happen. Yeah, but it was premeditated for a reason. For, for a reason, it was premeditated. And JJ seemed to love Philadelphia, and I don't know that his tenure seemed to be over. Uh, so I'm just saying somebody might have had involvement in him chasing the bag. They might have said, listen, you're not going to get the money you want, so you might as well go chase the bag. And he did. Uh, so I never judge a man's character for going after that. But on the podcast, getting away from that point, Joel Embiid talked about the fact that the organization took two of his favorite players on the team or his friends on the team and kind of just told them to leave or said you weren't involved in our future. Whether you believe it or not, uh, there's always stuff going on like that behind the scenes in these organizations. So somebody had these conversations with Jimmy and JJ, and people still feel a type of way about it. But I just think it's unfortunate that that's the direction the organization went, uh, that that's how Joel Embiid felt. And now reflecting on the season last year and, and the fit offensively to what the Sixers have regressed to, it's just a damn shame to think about. It's 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 the team. <laughs> it's the team that like, we, it's the team that we choose to cover, isn't it? The team that we choose to cover, yeah. and it's a uh, it's something. They, and it's uh, crazy. It's really crazy because this team is back to back fifty plus wins in the playoffs. Like this isn't a team that's missing the playoffs. This has been a dominating team. It's just they're the they're the biggest and not not even an anomaly. They're they're an enigma. They're the the biggest enigma in the entire NBA. That's right. They are the weirdest team in the NBA, and it's not particularly close. And the thing that I hearken back to with this team is think about superstars around the NBA. Guys like you know LeBron and Anthony Davis now. Guys like um, you know Jimmy Butler, guys like Giannis, these superstars are all consulted and all have rosters that are built around them. Why would Joel Embiid feel any kind of reason or loyalty to Philadelphia? Not not the city, but the franchise, considering that they put this shit around him. You put Josh Richardson, who like at his best is a 37% three-point shooter. You gave Mike Scott 9.8 mil, and he's shooting like 35% this year. Tobias Harris, who has been a very steady player for the Sixers, very steady player, 36%. Al Horford, <laughs> who had like two, had like a 37 and a 40% season. How do you not put snipers around this team? 
you need to Boyan Bogdanovich or, or 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 whoever you know what the guy who signed with the Jazz should have been top of the list. Danny Green top of the list. Bringing back JJ Redick should have been top of the list. People talk about JJ Redick's defensive liabilities. He looks terrible in the Brett Brown defense under a different defense. Maybe you can hide that better, or maybe he isn't necessarily a complete liability under a different coach. But what Even I Marcus just, Morris, Marcus Morris was was mugging from three this year. He he didn't want to be here though. That they tried. He didn't want to be here. Is that is that right? He didn't want to be here. No, he I wanted. Know to be, he, I know he's alluded to not wanting to play in Philadelphia before, but yeah, well, he's, he's from. He's fake tough. He he doesn't want to. He, no, he likes no. he likes to act. Come he likes, he likes no. to act tough. He likes to no. act tough. He likes to act I tough. Disagree. But he doesn't want to play in front of a tough crowd. I disagree. Okay, just telling you what it is. But okay, uh, <laughs> so now they have this slop, if you will, to show for it. <laughs> now the reason that we've gotten so far away away from 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 the two games is that we've watched it because they the Joel Embiid sits out the game with with with, it, with an injury today. Ben's out with the knee surgery. By the way, my dad knows the doctor who who did it. He says he's a good doctor. So yeah, actually. Thanks. Yeah, my dad's That's a doctor. Only you. Yeah. Only you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, has, has a good rating on right, my doctor. What can I say? <laughs> um, well, isn't, isn't, uh, you're the shot doctor, right? So I guess the, the apple doesn't fart. Listen, listen the apple uh, – my, my Ben Simmons stethoscope on the shot doctor is a flat line. He's flat line. All right. Um, but they, – so they set out all the starters today pretty much except for Shake. I don't know how much of the game you watched, but they did not use Shake nearly enough in an on-ball role. I mean, they 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 ran pick and roll for Shake a lot today, but the problem was is that they made Kyle O'Quinn sort of the focal point of the pick and roll, and not not the shot creating guard they're trying to develop. <laughs> Kyle O'Quinn ends up with like nine, eleven, and ten today, nearly yeah. a triple double, but Shake ends up with like with like five points. And so that doesn't make a lot of sense. But the things that I saw today that I thought were encouraging was that Mike Scott actually stepped up and kind of convinced me that maybe Brett Brown has misused him, has misused him at times this year. And maybe if a di- if you use him in a different way where he's like not just sitting in the corner waiting and thinking about shots, but rather like setting off ball screens, you know, being used in a, in a productive, active way, maybe you can engage him on the court. And then maybe you can get him rolling as a shooter because today he's getting, he's, he's getting, um, you know, low post work. He's getting, you know, looks from outside the arc and he was actually very productive today. He was, he had a really good game. Mike Scott, he only played the first half and then had like one bucket in the third quarter. And then we never saw from him again. Um, but he was, he was very good. I thought the Sixers offense today, and I even asked Kyle O'Quinn about this after the game. Um, you know, they looked more cohesive and they were moving better with the ball and it, both in their hands and off ball. They were rotating better. They weren't just standing and ball watching. And, you know, the, the, that Phoenix defense, they're better, but they're still not a good defense. The guys like Matisse Thibel were cutting intuitively off ball. They were, they were making reads of the help defense and getting backdoor looks. And it was really, really, really productive um, for the Sixers. And that's how they were able to stay with it. About the game, and if and if they give the effort that they gave today, 
consistently throughout the roster every game, we would be having a much different conversation about this team right now. Yeah, a team playing with nothing to lose is always the most dangerous team. And Philadelphia did play with nothing to lose today. Uh, but if you looked at the lineup they rolled out, you would almost question how you're going to host the Sixers podcast after this game because there's really nothing you could talk about, right? Uh, but there was a lot of interesting things, surprisingly, in this game. And the first one you talked about was going to be my first point. Kyle O'Quinn almost triple doubles. And that's hilarious because the point scoring was the most difficult thing to achieve. And on one play for, for Concord, Maj dribbled, pumped, yeah. and then I believe took a three instead of dishing it for Kyle to get the triple-double. So that's a bothersome move right there, but you live. Uh, nonetheless, Kylo Quinn, it was pretty funny watching him today, and here's why. He's the last of a dying breed, in my opinion, in these role-player stretch fives where, like, they can step out and hit a couple of shots, but they mainly operate within the perimeter, but they don't post up. It's kind of like their commitment to making the team better. And that's what I saw from Kyle today. I mean, that's – where Howell Neto gets his 20-plus points. That's how these guards were getting these looks within the perimeter because Kyle O'Quinn is a big body, and he just sets screens or he gets the ball, and he palms the ball until he finds a cutter and then throw it to the cutter, or he dishes it to a guy behind him and then sets another screen and frame for a shot. So Kyle O'Quinn is really active. The Sixers scored 42 points today, screen assisted. So that's a good indictment of how their offense flowed and. There is a lot to like. I mean, this game had no implications, and hardly any of these guys are going to get significant playoff minutes, but it's just nice to know that there is a little bit of optimism trapped in the Sixers bench, which has been pretty dreadful this season. Yeah, for sure. And one thing about Furcon is it feels like he's really kind of fallen off a cliff since the season kind of resumed. Like he had a, he was a really, you know, he was a nice feel good story of the team for the majority of this season. Um, still like it's kind of slow can do a little bit in terms of like getting into the lane and scoring, you know, at the basket, but generally a three strictly, a, you know, a three point sniper. And he's done this thing now where he's like pump faking, taking one or two dribbles and then like trying to get like a step back. Can we like stop that please? Like, 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 like for kind of, if you're listening, just put that away. No, 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 no one wants to see that. It's, it's, it's horrible, and it's like a waste of possession. He hasn't made one yet. He hasn't made one single shot off the dribble that he's taken. So it's 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 been like a very frustrating existence for Furkan Korkmaz in you know these these, these last couple games of the bubble. Um, so you know I would like to see him you know sort of get back to that rotating and you know. The, the, the one dribble sidestep into a, you know, the one dribble pump fake sidestep three, but not like this two dribble. I'm going to cross over, then pull back in the middle of the lane while I have a defender draped on me and try to create this jump shot. Like, no, you're not a shot creator and it, 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 it's not going to work like that. Um, now <laughs> I got, I, get, I, I don't, I don't know how much of the game you, you watch, but I watched like, all of it, unfortunately. Okay. So it's like the fifth game in a row. He's tried it. And I'm just like, Ferk, baby, what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing? But you know what, honestly? I, I think it's important to talk about the people that matter. Alec Burks has been doing his thing. It's been pretty blatantly obvious. He's been doing his thing as a passer. 
He's made a couple of really nice flashes, but more importantly, he's been spreading the ball. And prior to this game, of 80 qualifying bench players that attempted at least 20 field goals, Burks posted the ninth best field goal percentage and the fifth best three-point percentage. He was over 55% from three. Uh, So Burks has been awesome offensively, taking guys off the dribble, creating his own shot. Uh, He's been good as a facilitator. So Alec Burks has, has definitely earned his minutes. And I've been pleasantly surprised with Shake Milton as well. Uh, despite that rough first game, he's been pretty awesome since. Over 50% true shooting in three of the five games, despite tonight's game. And he cut down on his turnovers a lot. So from the two of them, I really like what I've seen. And I think it's encouraging that they have those offensive capabilities. So if you need to depend on them in a Boston series, they can give you 15 minutes of reduction. Yeah, I agree. I, I think actually Burks is a much better, bigger piece to this team than you know like like and like, and like we even realize i think he can make the difference between them surviving a first round series and playing like you know pretty good to okay versus them you know struggling and getting like swept mm-hmm. i think i think he can sort of make a difference and really make the series different just because the thing about alec brooks is this and today's bigs the guys like gobert guys like Daniel Tice, Horford to some extent, um, Aiton for sure. Some bigs are kind of like crocodiles, if you will. And I know it's a really weird comparison. I know it's weird. Bear with me. You know how they say that like, when you're getting chased by a crocodile, you should run in zigzags because they can't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With bigs that, that are slow-footed, the more you keep the ball on one plane, on one line of the basket, the easier it is for them to commit to a direction and then follow you to the basket and make a play on the ball and block it potentially okay. or cut you off. The thing about Alec Burks that I think is very deceptive and helpful when he attacks the basket, makes it harder for bigs to defend him is the little dribble, subtle dribble moves that he pulls off when he's attacking a line to the, to the cup. He'll do like an in and out dribble. He'll cross over real quickly. That forces a backpedaling big, to change his direction, to change, to maybe shift his weight a little bit to recover. And it completely turns him on his head because he's already, because now he's at a disadvantage. And it creates this window of opportunity for Burks to turn and lay it up and in, or to even get a little fancier and maybe do a secondary move to completely get the guy KO'd and out of the zone, and then you're just finishing. But I think that Burks' ability to, to, to utilize little moves on the burst changes the way that he is able to finish the basket. And I think it actually helps him a ton. And I think his jump shot as kind of like weird as it can be sometimes it's feathery smooth. And it's, 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 it's very silk. Um, you know, it's very, very silky. So, you know, those are the kind of things that I think Alec Burks can sort of really change your defense on the interior and make, you know, make it, make it really hard for, for, for your team to, to sort of defend and he's not this you know this big time shot creator but he's quick he's agile he's very loose with the ball and it makes actually for a a pretty i guess terrible time for for bigs that are heavy-footed to defend to defend him at the rim and he's also a hybrid his size so he can pose guards up he was top 10 in guard scoring as well during the season uh, in the post. So he's a guy that can take little guards into the post and 
He's quick operating within the perimeter against bigs. Uh, the most good – I, I, I want to say the thing that I think Alec Burks contributes the most is is to his – like his aggression is unparalleled on this bench. And for a team that I talked about earlier that's second in the drives during this bubble break, Alec Burks just – get he's aggressive and he can get it done offensively. He's a certified scorer. So he he can attack. He looks to score. He wants the ball. And for a team that lacks that aggression, he's going to be really good in 15-minute bursts. For sure. Kevin Keel says, if you had to launch one bench player into the sun for the rest of the season, who are you sending? Brock, I'll let you start off with that one. This isn't going to be an in-depth answer. It's Howell Meadow. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even owe that one an explanation. If you've watched the Sixers this season, it should be Howell Meadow every time. It's hard to it's hard to talk about Neto because like he was fabulous today. He was the best player. In, he was the reason they can't stay in the game late. For me, oh, it's got to be Corkmaz for me. I, oh I, my god, Corkmaz drives me fucking nuts. I mean, he 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 drives me. Oh my god. I mean, his shot selection is 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 odd at times. I mean. He he has these plays that like are very typical plays for shooters. Like they'll run the out of timeout plays with like the hammer, where he'll go to the corner and it's like a fading corner three, but it gets the open look. Like the one that he hit against the Blazers to win the game early in the season, that was a hammer play. There are shots where it's like it's a very basic shot for a shooting guard. If you you practice it all the time, and he's hitting the side of the backboard, <laughs> you're just like you're just like you're just like dude, dude, come on, man, not even close. Um, so for me, it's gotta be Korkmaz because as good as he can be and as dynamic as he can add, as he can make the offense, God, is he just a headache sometimes that, 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 that's who it would be for me. Um, now Brock, what did you think of Mikhail Bridges today? (laughs) I love him. You you know where I stand. I saw a lot of public discourse today about the trade with Philadelphia. I wake up, right? I go on Twitter twice throughout the day most days when I wake up and before I go to sleep. I wake up and I forget who tweeted it, but it, it, it was about the draft and Philadelphia drafting, I guess, Zaire over MPJ, but MPJ went before Zaire and Philadelphia made the trade, so they traded the 10th, which was McHale, and then eventually picked Zaire with the 16th. Phoenix had selected them for Philadelphia. I don't understand what Michael Porter Jr. has to do with that equation. But I did see a lot of conversation today about Philadelphia and this trade. And I want to let everyone know where I stand first. I understand why you do the trade. With the potential of that draft class and taking a kid out of high school and nobody foresaw coronavirus happening. So you assume 2021 is going to be a stockpile of fantastic high school kids ready to play in the NBA. You use that pick for star power, and eventually they trade for Tobias Harris with that pick included. Zaire Smith is young. He's, I think, two or three years younger than Bridges, so there's definitely optimism. I just don't know what his long-term equation is with Philadelphia, and short-term, the fit's not there. Uh, So he's definitely a project and a project worth waiting for, but I don't know what the long-term equation for Smith would be in Philadelphia. And it's unfortunate to see that Bridges has fit in so well 
in Phoenix. Now, Phoenix isn't a team that wins, but if you look at his body of work in Phoenix, off ball, how he moves defensively, guarding the point of attack and doing it well, offensively having a guy that does what he does where you can draw up plays to set an off ball screen to a guy that can cut or get a layup. And given his, his field goal percentage shooting layups, it's almost going in every time. He's just a blessing to have on the team. And Phoenix feels that way. And I feel that way when I watch him, I'm glad he's doing his thing. He's a local kid. He went to Villanova. He's got Philadelphia and PA ties. So he's a guy like Kyle Lowry or Dion waiters. I hope they thrive for their entire careers. And it looks like bridges is definitely going to have a long one. Yeah. So everyone's like, and Mikhail, just like the name, Mikhail Bridges has been trending on Twitter today. People were just like literally tweeting. Yeah, that was crazy. I, I don't get where, where that came from, but okay. Um, now, the reason that they bring MPJ into the equation is MPJ was taken 14th. Mm-hmm. They had the 10th pick. They could have taken MPJ. And given – you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but given the fact that Zaire Smith has not even like really played in the NBA yet, they could have waited on Michael Porter Jr. to be fully healthy and would have had the exact same timeline. I don't, so, I, I don't see the reason why MPJ's injury was a back injury, right? And he yeah. he, he didn't play in college because of it. He played three games. Yeah, but I tell you I what, he, he's an absolute what? stud. He's an absolute. Oh yeah, he's star. gonna be. He's gonna be a problem for a long time. Yeah, he's he, he's like KD. Like he's he's got he's got baby KD in him. But he's um, shot. he's he, he's looking nasty right now. But and and he's who he's who I wanted, and I thought that, you know, back when I didn't like cover the team, when I was just like you know like because I, I went to Elon's school, Elon Vino's yeah. you know scouting class. He I was all in on MPJ because I saw the size and the shooting. I was like, how could you not love this kid? This kid's insane. Um, so that was one guy. And now that he's taken off, fans are like, oh, it's another slam against Elton Brandon Brett Brown, even though like obviously hindsight is now 2020. Don't we always don't we wish we could have had Giannis? Like, don't you wish you could have had, you know, uh um, you know, Draymond Green? Scout, yeah. Scout, yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Now there's one problem with the assumption about Mikhail Bridges, and like imagine they hadn't done the trade. The assumption is this. When have the Sixers ever drafted a, a guy in the first round, and he's actually as good as they thought they they thought he'd be? When have they ever actually developed a guy? I mean, it's been a long damn time. Right. Joel so, Embiid. I mean, so injury, injury. Go ahead. Go ahead. So who's to say that Mikael Bridges is coming to Philadelphia and literally forgets how to shoot too? That or he is misused by Brett Brown, like Matisse Thybul has. He forgot how to shoot in Phoenix for a little too. So who exactly. probably worse here? Exactly. So why would why are people so sure? Why are fans so sure that Mikael Bridges would have been what he is in Philly? I don't believe it. I have no reason to believe it. All I know is that they drafted or they traded for Zaire Smith. They got an unprotected first-round pick for it, which is objectively a great trade. And you got a guy in Tobias Harris who is, like, bordering on all-star level player. So let's stop the whole shtick about, like, oh, they, 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 they botched the Mikhail Bridges situation. 
The only thing about that was that they drafted the kid. It was a feel-good story. was able to stay at home, and then they traded him. Other than that, it's business, and I don't hold it against them because what happened was that Zaire Smith literally had a near-death experience because of an allergic reaction to something that the Sixers did to him. So, so like, so like, so like, think about the odds of that. Of all the guys drafted every year, how many are literally like, like, in an intensive care unit at a hospital for months at a time because of an allergic reaction because of something that because of a, a meal that a, a team chef prepared. That's yeah. how weird this team is. I still can't even explain that story to people that don't know it because I don't even really understand that story. Uh, but with, with with that trade, I think a lot of people tend to look at it in a vacuum. At the time, I think Zaire had a little more potential be, because of what he did in his freshman year at Texas Tech. He was a historically good defender, and offensively, he was a perfect complement for Philadelphia. A cutter, a freak athlete in transition with incredible bounce and a lower body injury definitely derailed some of his potential. But I think fit-wise, Mikhail would have been an equally, if not better fit as Zaire. Uh, in watching what he does in Phoenix, he's not a shot creator. He, he's a guy that is, is an easy find for his teammates. Having a point guard like Ricky Rubio is awesome. Devin Booker is, is looking to score, but he's a very easy find because he just puts himself in a very good spot. He's got a great knowledge of the game, and his cutting is is second to none in the NBA. I called him the stealthiest player in the league for a reason. What he does off ball is so rare and so unique that I feel like that would be his role on any team. So personally, I think in Philadelphia, he would eventually carve out a really impactful role, and he'd be a fantastic 3 and D player because of how good his defense is. But a part of me believes, Austin, that – in Philadelphia with such a crowded front and backcourt at the time and the scrutiny of having Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons, maybe he develops a hitch in his jump shot and he's never the same. So uh, I'm almost glad that things happened for a reason and he ended up in Phoenix because now he's going to be able to blossom. Yep. And Zaire, Zaire still is, is, is there's a lot remains to be seen with Zaire he's too. 21 he's 21 years old. Exactly. Now, and they usually say like 23, 24 is when like you're really ready. Now, he has a long way to go from being like bedridden to being like ready for the NBA. Yeah. But I I, I don't – I think we get caught up in this irrational state of like, okay, we got to like – we need value off the bench. Like, like, like this guy's never going to be anything. Like he's 21 years old. He might blossom in the next two, three years and become a very valuable player for this team and maybe even a long-term piece. And in which case, guess what? You resign him on a cheap deal because you don't know, you know, what his health is or what he'll be. And you have him for four more years and he blossoms. You have cheap value in your rotation, which is at the crux, at the crux of what this team needs. You need the, the, for for years. This team has been cutting the margins and they neglecting, you know, cheap second round, late first round talent. The best teams in the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Toronto Raptors, the Spurs. Well, they were the once the best teams in the NBA, but you know what I mean. Um, 
the the uh, yeah, I think there's not that many. <laughs> well, well, the my, the my, the my, the Miami Heat, even like the Boston Celtics to some extent, all of those teams, they're as good as they are, not because of their superstars, although obviously superstars are a big piece when it comes down to it in crunch time. They're as great as they are because they work the margins and they find an expensive value late in the draft and they develop players into contributors that don't cost much. So it isn't like there's this massive imbalance of like a couple guys that are worth a million, two million mid mid level exception, veteran minimum guys. And then you have four starters that are making over a hundred million dollars. They have one or two starters making a hundred million dollars. Then they have a bunch of guys making 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 all over the roster. And that makes for a much, much, much more balanced team and a much better product on the court. And that way you don't have to overplay Joel Embiid. That way you don't have to, that way you don't have to mix and match and, and, and sign a guy like Yao Horford who doesn't play power forward. He's not a spot-up shooter. You don't have to put two centers on the court <laughs> to, try to, sell, to try to sell the fans something. <laughs> the value of back-end talent in the draft is completely and sorely neglected by this team. And that's a huge underappreciated reason as to why they're a six seed in the playoffs this year, why they're not good enough, and why they might have to try to fit an array of moves into one offseason. Think about the late-round talent that's dominating the league right now, Austin. It's a completely different wave. And if you compare the number one overall picks to the late-round talent in the past decade – It's completely impartial. The late-round talent is so much more dominant. Uh, I don't know if there's there's scouting flaws or if it's just the the difference in speed between the levels and the grind, but there's some unknown factors in late-round talent and compared to the early-round talent in recent years that's inexplainable. I, I think of Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think of Pascal Siakam. I think of guys that were drafted later, Nikola Jokic, late first round, early second round, that are contributing more than early round talent. Uh, Kevin Knox comes to mind. I'm blanking right now, but there's a completely impartial balance right now. And I think the teams that find these talent are, to your point, the teams that are thriving. Think about how much homegrown talent is in Toronto. It's almost their entire roster. Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet was the 60th pick in the draft, or under the free, whatever he was. He's averaging 18 He's points a hit per man. game. He's a hitman. He's a hitman. I, I mean, Matt Thomas. From Matt Thomas to OG Ananobi, there's homegrown talent. In Milwaukee, they, they, they gave Giannis the keys to their team and built everything around Giannis. That's what Miami is going to do with Bam. If the Sixers ever drafted a guy who could come off a dribble or come off a DHO and make a fadeaway three, and they drafted him and like, and he did it like multiple times in a row in a game against a good opponent, and they drafted him in the late second round for undrafted free agent, I think Sixers Twitter would literally shit itself. I, 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 it would confirm my mental theory that we're living in a matrix. It would confirm that. It's. I, I know it was fake. 
like, they have who the hell is Matt Thomas? Where does he come from? And he's coming around screens on DHOs and is pumping in like three. He hit like three or four threes in a row the other night. Yeah, yeah. Like, and the Sixers, they can't even find a guy to make one or two in a row. They're paying. They're paying out Horford. We're lucky if he gets two of them to hit the rim. <laughs> well, here you go, man. You got the bomber and Furcon Corkmans. Like we, I remember, I had to sit through the whole fan base. You look, you look at this. We signed the bomber. Brett Brown finally grew his bomber. We gave him this big contract, the Turkish sniper. Now nobody likes him. Nobody likes when he's on the court. He doesn't play any defense. He can't hit a shot. It's it just reinforces how I feel. He shouldn't be on the court regardless. Because the Sixers shouldn't be looking at him as the primary three-point creator. He shouldn't be the final go-to guy in the final two minutes of a game. There should be a player that's fulfilling that role that has a body of work to show for. Unfortunately, Furkan Korkmaz is just not that guy. It's not in the rep for him. Yeah, no, I agree. And everyone's like, you got to re-sign Alec Burks. You got to re-sign Alec Burks. Alec Burks is going to get, like – my guess is between 12 and 16 million per year for like three or four years. This, this, this summer, is that going to be for, is that going to be for a contending team? My guess would probably be no, but I tell you this, he ain't happy here. He, he don't want to be here. He does not want to be here. Probably not. He does not want to be here. And so he wasn't happy about the trade. He certainly is not happy to be here. He isn't going to come back, I don't think. So I think they have to purge, essentially, their entire bench. Like, if there are more than, like, five or six guys on the roster heading into free agency, there's a problem. Like, like this should be a 2K overhaul. I mean, renounce your rights. No qualifying offers. You're going to sign basically nine guys this offseason. <laughs> and and <laughs> well, that's if the the Harris Blitzer and Co don't 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 buy the Mets with the money yeah. that they with the money that they were so you know yeah. patiently afraid to uh to um you know pay their workers with during the pandemic. But um, they need to overhaul this bench and create value and get shooters on this team um, because. They, they they just got it. There's the 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 title window is closing remarkably quickly on this team, and it's large part because of the fact that they constructed this roster like dog shit. And it starts with a new coach. That I got a new coach in here. My guess is it's going to be Ime Udoka, or it's going to be like Ty Lue. See, I think if you overhaul the bench, like if I think you get rid of everything and start from scratch, you'd do the same with your head coach. But I don't know. It seems like they're 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 nurturing Ime for this role. I don't know. I could just be overthinking, but it seems like he's pretty involved on the sidelines. Which, well, like, as this. an assistant coach, it's a normal thing. But I'll I tell you know. this: imagine like. <laughs> Congratulations, your first coaching job. Come figure out this puzzle for us. Try fitting this this square peg into a round. The crazy thing is, is like I see a lot of finger pointing right now. 
people are blaming Elton Brand. People are br- blaming Brett Brown. The ownership. I don't blame Elton Brand. I don't blame I, Elton Brand. Honestly, right now the only thing I'm focused on is the product on the court. Uh, when, when it's time to address Elton Brand and, and roster construction, then you can point a finger and blame. But with the product on the court right now, I'm not even blaming Elton Brand for what he put on the court. I just have to look to the coach and what he does with the players on his roster. And the reason why I feel bad is because Brett Brown now has to navigate his job with these players in the roster. So maybe in his seventh year, he decided he wanted to, we wanted to implement this and he can't now. And the offense has taken a severe hit. He, he doesn't have coaches in his, in his corner anymore, like Monty Williams or Lloyd Pierce. So, He's all on an island now. There's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of blaming, but I don't even know who blame should fall on Austin, honestly. For me, it's like sure Elton Brand made some like looking back on it, bad decisions. At the time, half of the fan base was was very, very excited about it. Because number one, at least you got Al Horford away from the Celtics, which was a big deal. Brogdon, Brogdon signed early that day. Like, Brogdon was completely off of the table after a certain point. Yeah. So, I mean, you, at, you least, at, least Elton had, at least Elton had vision. Now, does, does every vision work? No. This one, this one didn't work. Or at least it hasn't worked to this point. We might still be stuck with it for three more years if it does work. But, <laughs> but, but we, 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 shall, we shall see. Um, Brock, any parting shots? No parting shots. None today. All right. Uh, follow him on Twitter, Landis Brock. Follow me on Twitter, Krell TPL. Austin Krell, Brock Landis with you here. As always, thank you for so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe and give us a rating and five-star review on uh, on Apple Pods. As always, thank you for tuning in to the Feed to Embiid. Stay safe, everybody, and have a good night. Do you like shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgun time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole under a second. There's also a tab puller, vent plunger, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. on Instagram, and Cobra is spelled with a K. For a 10% discount on all products, enter the code TRUSTACOBRA10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. The feed to Embiid and its name are protected by U.S. copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright the feed to Embiid 2020.